Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. It's Thursday morning. This is Behind the Steel Curtain editor Dave Schofield coming at you again with some geeky numbers, but more importantly, talk about Pittsburgh Steelers football. Yes, we are now the on a game day, yet again on a Thursday. This was our last Thursday game day until I'm pretty sure it's December when the Steelers are scheduled to play on Thursday night football. So I won't be coming at you saying, oh, it's game day again for quite a long time, but that's all right. I'm just ecstatic that, man, now here we are, the second preseason game. We waited so long and so long for the Hall of Fame game. Now it's here. Now it's gone. A week has gone by since. And it's like, oh, yeah, another game's here. It's like... It should be. All is right with the world again. The Pittsburgh Steelers are taking the field to play football for our viewing pleasure. So here we go. We are getting into this preseason. Training camp is winding down. I think there's, I think there was a total of 13 practices in all. And I think they just had the eighth one that's open to fans that I'm talking about. If that's the case, then I, I believe there's about five training camp practices left. I may be incorrect there. Uh, I'm just going strictly from memory um, to know if that is the case. But that's kind of winding down. I'm. It's funny. I'm kind of looking forward to training camp winding down because, my goodness, every time the Steelers practice during training camp, I am on top of doing 
the training camp tracker for BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers, where I am constantly updating everything that's happening at practice based on the reports from the Steelers beat reporters that are there. So that's a little bit time consuming, kind of had to plan my, my day around those kind of things and, and whatnot, but it's, it, I still want to know what's going on at practice anyway. So it's not like I wouldn't be paying attention otherwise. So if you haven't checked that out at behind the make sure you do that. But also we've got a lot of, not all of, I'm pretty sure we haven't debuted them all yet. I have to double check with our podcast producer, Brian Anthony Davis, but we are, we are getting into our, our new audio only shows that are coming out now. I know that we just had our first, um, I think it's, I'm going to mess up the exact name of it. I'm pretty sure it's from the, um, from the cutting room floor. That's Jeffrey Benedict talking about film and whatnot. Uh, he debuted his show this past week. Um, we already had the Steelers fantasy football fix. That one's, um, coming at you for several weeks now here on the audio side. And, um, I'm, I can't remember all the other names. I should have them written down. I know we've got uh, what Ian's talking about, and this I think it's the Steelers Power Half Hour, if I got all our names correct. Um, but those are going to be shows coming at you. We still got uh, Maddie P's uh, War Room that is on the audio side. But chances are, if you're listening to this, you probably already know a lot of the audio programs and that you're just like, oh, yeah, I caught that one already. Or, oh, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, hopefully those are things that you can say. And of course we always have senior editor, Jeff Hartman's let's ride on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Michael Beck's live mic on Tuesdays. Also make sure that you're, that you're catching the two part shows that we do on YouTube. You know, we put them in two parts for the audio side, simply because it's easier, um, for you all, not enough for us, for you all, because of the length of the shows that was us trying to give the people what they want and, and try to keep the shows to no more than 35 minutes for each half. And then that way you can split them up and listen to them as you can. Those are, are once a day, every day shows going in the evenings, all except the tales from 2 AM, which is usually on a Sunday morning. Um, but that show's going to actually be going away during the regular season as we have Sunday game days. So, um, it's that that'll be one that that um, won't be sticking around for too much longer because of how our lineup's going to be. But you know, you know all these things, man. How great was it to watch that Hall of Fame game? It was really something else just to see black and gold uniforms on the field. I know some people are like really you're excited about. It? Yes, I was absolutely excited. I was excited about every player that was able to step out on the field, and I knew a bunch of them weren't going to play. And there were even more players that didn't play that I. Didn't know if they would or not, because I did an article that where I projected who would or wouldn't play. Um, I got a, almost all of them right of who didn't play, but there was still even more like uh, Trey Turner didn't play. Melvin Ingram didn't play. Um, some just I mean, I, they don't have Derek Watt listed as not playing, but I didn't really see him on offense. And then because of the duplicate numbers, which was an article that I put out there that out that, that laid out all the duplicate numbers and how you could try to tell them apart that we had it behind the still curtain.com. But let's dive into some of these numbers from the, from the hall of fame game that, um, that could maybe be encouraging, maybe some things to work on. I, one of the first things that, that jumped out at me was zero pre-snap penalties. I mean, the Steelers only had three penalties in the game. They had two on defense, one on offense. They had a pass interference. 
They had um, why can't I remember um, what the other one on defense? I know the one on offense uh, was an illegal block, but yeah, but um, oh, the what am I saying? It's it was the roughing the passer penalty on on Isaiah Bugs. Some people didn't like it, but I mean, he put the the bad part of his helmet in the bad part of the quarterback, you know, right in his chest. So. Whether it was late or not late, didn't matter. They're going to flag that every time. Even if we think it's ticky-tack, they're going to make that call against every team. So that's just how it how it is. But though, those were it for the penalties. So that was – I was surprised. And it's not like there was a lot of stuff going on with both teams that I thought should have been penalties and they just didn't throw them. I mean, there was – the pre-snap penalties are always a big one. And we'll talk about that with the next game um, coming up tonight. But no – False starts on offense, no encroachments on defense, no illegal formations, no delay of game, not even a timeout because the clock was winding down. The Steelers didn't even use a timeout in the Hall of Fame game. None. No timeouts. So that's another good zero was there. Other than zero pre-snap penalties, zero timeouts. You didn't have to use them when you when you didn't need them. So they had them in their back pocket in case they needed to. Um, I like that the Steelers won the turnover battle. They were plus two. Um, yes, they had the, the ugly fumble on the very first drive, which was a shame because the Steelers were driving, the Steelers were driving. They had already moved the ball 23 yards on six plays. They already had two first downs and they just get across midfield and boom, still don't know. Can't get confirmation from the Steelers. We can all speculate was that supposed to be a handoff to Claypool that didn't happen? Was it supposed to be a fake to Claypool that got knocked out? It really doesn't matter. Um, but I outlined it before. Um, not outlined. I mentioned before that KT Smith outlined on that play that if it would have been a handoff to Claypool, it was a great play call based on the defense and what he would have been able to do. So, that was that was a negative, but I mean they had three turnovers on their own. I mean three takeaways, so um, that those were positive things. And on top of that, blocking a, a field goal is almost like a turnover. It really is. It's almost like a turnover to be able to do that. But they were still plus two, uh, which which was which was very very solid there. Um, another thing I liked is that the Steelers only had one drive. Okay, if I exclude the one second was left on the clock before halftime after the, after the Cowboys didn't connect on the 50-plus yard field goal. Um, was it – I mean, I'm 52. It was a 52-yard field goal. Uh, when they went to go into halftime there, they took a knee. So throw that out. We're not counting that one. For that, there was only one other drive where the Steelers did not get at least one first down. They had one three and out. And what was interesting is that drive – then, because it it technically ended and started a new drive, but really in our minds it was the same drive because that was the one where the Steelers recovered the fumble on the punt, um, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. So that was positive there that the Steelers were at least moving the ball. They weren't doing like sometimes what happened a lot in in 2020 and definitely in 2019 that they were their drives were so short and quick and no first downs and put the defense right back out on the field. They didn't do that. That's something that we want to see continue into the regular season. That is it great to score points on every drive? Absolutely. But you've got to at least maintain some possession and move the ball a little bit, play some field position battle 
and like I say, give your defense a rest. So those are some things. Uh, the Steelers had the longest play from scrimmage in the game. It was 45 yards uh, of pass completion for Mason Rudolph to Chase Claypool. So that that was a positive. Um, that was a nice looking play. It was really about the only time the Steelers took a shot down the field um, all night. And I mentioned this on the Steelers preview Tuesday night with Brian Anthony Davis. And it's like, yeah, I I want to see the Steelers pushing the ball down the field. But if the other team is set up in a defense that they're basically taking away everything deep and they'll let you throw underneath all you want, then the quarterbacks have to show that they can read that and make the correct throw. Like the example we were talking about, and if you've already listened to the show, I'm sorry to repeat it, but it was a really good point. If you want to see Dwayne Haskins pushing the ball down the field, but the defense is taking away everything down the field and giving him open stuff underneath, he's got to show the Steelers that he can make the right read and the right decision there. So that might be one of the reasons why we're not seeing that. Okay. Um, another number that I brought up is that the Steelers targeted 16 different players in the passing game. 16. I mean, they only had 28 pass attempts and they went to 16 different players. 11 players managed at least one reception. So that's good that they were spreading the ball around. And of course, you don't have a preseason game. You're you're going to have more players playing, so they have more of an opportunity. But it, it was really good to see that it wasn't one player out there getting all the targets. I mean, Chase Claypool had four four targets and he had the most. So that's good. You know, for a preseason game is something that, that, that you want to see loved the 36 yard punt return. that set up a score set up the Steelers first touchdown. Uh, that was Matthew Sexton who, you know, let's see what else he can do, but you got to be smart back there. You got to make the fair catch when that's the right call. You've got to take advantage of a return when you have the ability to do it. Okay. Um, really happy that the defense just held it. I mean, they were bend, don't break pretty much all game. That's what you're going to see in the preseason until probably at least the third game. And that the Steelers, they only gave up three points. They gave up three points on the opening drive. They blocked a field goal and they kept a field goal before the half to be extremely long to where it was not successful. Other than that, I mean, they did what they had to do. Four sacks. Four sacks by four different players. That was great. You know, three edge rushers and a defensive interior lineman. Um, that was good stuff to see. I And I'm going to give props again to Abdullah Anderson, not just because he got a sack, but because on that fourth down of one play when the, when the Cowboys ran the bootleg, they were going to run for the first down. And he was playing inside, and he it was a stunt where he was coming around. And as soon as he came around, he saw the quarterback going wide. He didn't even try to cut in at him. He just started taking the wide angle and just cut it down to where he didn't – he wasn't – it was going to – I don't think he'd have got there if he'd have tried to run it. So he had to throw the ball. So some negatives, you know, the – it wasn't Chris Boswell. The whole reason the Steelers bring in another kicker other than Chris Boswell is so Chris Boswell doesn't have to make every kick in the preseason. That's actually very good strategy. But poor Sam Sloman, I understand he missed a longer a field goal. I mean, I, I, I think it was 47 or 48 yards, the one that he missed. He also hit one from that. I think he missed 48 and hit from 49. And you understand, but he also missed an extra point. And I really hope that that wasn't 
because of the hold. I didn't look like it was, but both of those kicks, they were just lined up right and went right the whole way. It's not like the kick faded or anything like that. It was driven as a straight kick. It just wasn't kicked in the right direction. So that was some negative. But before we, before anything else, I'm going to bring up some numbers so we can roll into the second half of the show. And that is because I also want to bring up um, some information that I found via research working on the Steelers Vertex article that I do with Jeffrey Benedict at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. If you've already checked that out, that's great. You're uh, you're just going to hear me mention some of those numbers I was able to dig up there. Um, and if you haven't, please go back and check it out. It was it was on the site yesterday. But if you just Google Steelers Vertex, it's coming up. That's that's what you're going to get. So. It was about the punting game. So that's something I have to say. I mean, the Steelers got three punts inside the 20. And the only punt that wasn't inside the 20 was because they recovered it by hitting the returner. The ball, it was going to I'm, I'm honest with you. That ball was kicking so hard in the Steelers' favor, you know, end over end rolling that I hope it wouldn't have made it all the way into the end zone, but it definitely was going inside the 20 because it hit the the the, the Cowboys receiver or, or receiver, I mean, returner. That's the word I'm looking for. It hit the Cowboys returner at the 24-yard line, bounced two yards back off of him, and that's where it was recovered. So, I mean, that ball was going inside the 20. Wasn't, his, wasn't Harvin's prettiest kick, but once again, he had the hang time on it that there was – you know, one of his own guys covered covering right there. He was right there to make that play of that fumble recovery because he didn't outkick his coverage because he's got some hang time and everything else. I mean, the the kick that went down to the one yard line was just a thing of beauty. I mean, part of that you've got to say it's got to be a little bit of luck, which I agree. You can make you can kick the ball in a manner to have it hit and not bounce forward like you want to do when you're kicking it inside the 20. He did that. But when it goes up and comes back down again, you don't know which way it's going to go. You can't you can't control that the that second bounce on a punt when you're making it do that on the first bounce. I mean, when you're kicking end over end like the the kick that the Steelers recovered, that should continue to roll much like, you know, like an onside kick and things like that. But when when you do it that way, you've got to kind of hope that it doesn't twist in the wrong way to then where it hits and then bounce forward or or anything else but it was just a thing of beauty to put that punt where they did good hang time everything there i mean starting field position off for the cowboys off of punts was 11 11 and 1 you got to love that so we're going to roll into the break here when i come out i'm going to give you some numbers about about what the what the punting game sets up and then we'll talk about some things that we'd like to see to build on the um the hall of fame game that we want some numbers we'd like to look for in week two so um stick around we'll be right back Buenos dias world from the san diego zoo wildlife alliance i'm marco went and i'm rick schwartz and we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. 
Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with the Steelers that week. This is Dave Schofield, editor by Steve Curtin. And we just talked about some numbers from the Hall of Fame game. You know, I gave, I already gave you the big rundown of the podcast and everything. Um, but what's more important is we had data to analyze from a game last week. We have data to look forward to coming up. But before we do, I wanted to throw something out there because I was talking about, we, we finished the the first segment of the show talking about punts and the four punts from Presley Harvin the third uh, from the Hall of Fame game and it's the importance of what your punter can do in changing field position and this actually this was Jeffrey Benedict's idea for me to actually break this down I looked at every every game didn't didn't keep it to just regular season I included the postseason and what happens when the ball's inside the, when the other team starts inside or at or inside their 20 versus at or inside their 10 versus all other drives. Like for example, in 2020, the Steelers gave up a touchdown on 19.9% of all their drives, you know, mean the defense. So just under 20% of the drives were the were Steelers giving up a touchdown to their opponent. And a, and a field goal was 10.9%. So when you add that all up, it's 39.8% of the time uh, a, a team can score. So they held, hold them to under, under 50%, and they punt 42.8% of the time, and the Steelers get a turnover 12.9% uh, of the time. And that's even including the postseason game, which we know what kind of happened there and how that could skew the numbers. But if you look at then not just every drive, but the drives – Let's say the drive that started the 20-yard line or, or or in. So this includes the ones that are also inside the 10-yard line, which we'll look at next. Okay, out of all these drives, I all oh, I had a total and I didn't I didn't write it down of what the total drives were in the season. But 58 of those drives started at the 20-yard line or inside. But instead of giving up 19.9% of touchdowns, when they're the 20 or less, it's 15.5. So that's you got a greater chance of keeping the team out of the end zone the other way. Steelers only gave up 3.4% of their drives. They gave up a field goal. I mean, that's that's cutting it in third, almost. Almost a, a third of what of what it was for the season. Okay. And the turnovers, they were close to the same. It was 13.8%, 12.9%. And the reason they're close is because forcing a turnover really isn't as much of a field position game. Okay. I was surprised that five times they stopped drives on downs. It had to be because the teams drove and then went for it. Cause when you pin them deep, they're generally not going to go for it on fourth down. Um, that equated to 8.6%. Then we had some that, you know, ended the half one, resulted in a safety, which surprisingly was not a drive that started inside the 10. That's one that kind of got me. Um, and the Steelers, there was a missed field goal in there. But if you look at it all in all, the scoring was uh, is under 20% 
when it's inside the 20 yard line. It was actually um, 19% is what it was versus 39.8%. So that's a significant difference with, with, in the number of drives giving up a score. But then if you look at, if you can pin the team at the 10 yard line or, or inside of that, I mean, there was 14 drives where the Steelers did that last year. What would be great is if the punting game can increase that number. If you're not going to score, at least pin the team deep and inside the 10. Uh, the Steelers gave up one touchdown. One touchdown on a drive that started inside the 10-yard line. It actually, that drive actually started at the 10-yard line. So that was 7.1%. They gave up one field goal, which was 7.1%. So you're talking 14.2% versus on a normally for a, on a drive, 30 or 39.8 for the whole season. So you're that's less than half. You're cutting that number in half or better when you can pin your opponent deep. And I mean, so the Steelers were, I mean, they forced a punt on those drives 64.3% of the times, almost two out of three, almost two out of three times that they were, that they, forced the team to start inside their own or at or inside their own 10 yard line, they forced a punt. So that tells you how important it is to be able to pin the team deep like that, that you could go for that, get the ball inside the 10. There are so many times last year, I have to admit both punters that the Steelers had both Dustin Colquitt and then Jordan Berry coming back where I thought, Oh wow, they can really pin them deep. And they got them around the 12 or 13 yard line. And I'm like, just think if it will just, you know, go for five more yards, pin a team at the seven or eight. That actually makes a big difference statistically. Um, I had the numbers for 2019 as well. They're in that article. If you really want to see them, they're, they're pretty similar in all um, to, to um, the data from 2020, except the Steelers gave up no touchdowns in 2019 uh, on, on drives that started at the 10 yard line or in. So that means in two years, they've only given up one touchdown on a drive where they pin the team at the 10 yard line or deeper. That's pretty big. So that's something I want to see from this game coming up. I do not know if it's going to be Presley Harvin, the third or Jordan Berry or a combination of the two, but bottom line is you want to see that trend continue as much as you'd like the old yards per punt to be great. That really depends on field position. The things that you really want to look for in this game when it comes to that aspect of it is hang time, meaning is the coverage getting to the punt in time, which also equates to return yards. If if the other team can't return, I mean, Preston Harvey gave up no return yards. Um, I, I mean, I, I think it was zero. It could have been one. I mean, they downed the ball. To, I mean, the one time they downed it to one, the other time it went out of bounds at the 11. And the other one, the guy should have fair caught it, didn't fair catch it, and the Steelers dropped him right away. And then the other was the fumble. So you're giving up no return yards. That's fantastic. Um, and then the other thing is is the other team's starting position from that. Where did you pin them on the punt? I mean, a 60-yard punt isn't great as a touchback, but you know what? A 35-yard punt is great if you're putting it inside the 10. And although they keep a lot of statistics for inside the 20, I like that inside the 10 statistic a little bit better. That's that's what you should look to do. I'll also be honest with you. If the Steelers don't even get a chance to punt the ball tonight, I don't care. I'm, I'm, uh, I'd like to see something happen there, but 
oh, that would be a terrible problem to have. Unless the reason is because they're not scoring points with those. You don't want it to end on turnovers, turnovers on downs, missed field goals, anything like that. But you, if if they're putting points to the board on every drive, that would be fantastic. Um, I think it's very interesting to look at to continue to look at the numbers in the rushing game. I know we didn't talk about it really before. Um, I want to see Najee Harris, con- or sorry, Najee Harris, continue to get positive yardages on his runs. I mean, I know he had the one run towards the end of his time in there that he lost four yards. That was um, the defense did something that the Steelers weren't expecting. Um, KT Smith laid that out pretty good. They, they adjusted to something that they had been doing earlier and it made it a really difficult block for Kendrick Green to have to try to go get someone. It was basically, you know, that that's kind of like saying, Oh, we're going to give this guy a five yard head start and you've got to go catch him and block him. Yeah. That, it just, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, so it was actually a pretty good adjustment by, um, the Cowboys defense, which a lot of people are thinking, especially coaching wise should be improved this year. Um, so that's, that's a number you, you kind of want to look at is those average rushing yards for Najee Harris. Um, you want to keep the turnovers down. Of course, I'm a little bit concerned. I always say this with the preseason. I talked about it a bunch with the last game and already mentioned it in the first half, those pre-snap penalties, those kind of things. Are you, are you pushing the, 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 where you have to call a timeout or anything because delay of game. Are you lining up properly? Are you not having a false start? I mean, even in the Steelers uh, practice that got rained out on Tuesday, they did do their seven shots drill before they had to end practice. And there was two false starts. And I know the one Ben Roethlisberger was not happy. He was upset that that they're doing that. So these are the kind of things that you don't want to see come out in the game. And honestly, when when you do a good job week one or you know the first preseason game, you have more of a tendency to not be as mentally focused on that issue as you might have been otherwise, and that's when sometimes those things can start to creep in. I'd love for that number to be zero again. I would I will definitely note that if it is, but honestly, there I wouldn't be shocked if it's way more than, than we expect. I'm not. Going to be surprised if you see a little bit of sloppy play because sometimes you take things for granted that you did very well the first game. When you try to work on new things for the second game, sometimes those things that you did well could kind of get overlooked. So that's something to look for. Um, I want to see quarterback pressures again up there. Uh, The sacks were great. The fact that the Steelers got four, wonderful. Uh, would I like to see him get four again this week? Absolutely, especially if Joe Flacco is going to play any significant time. It would just be nice to see, you know, have the Steelers putting Flacco on his backo yet again. Um, then uh, another thing is, even if they aren't getting home, making sure there's pressure, that you're not giving the quarterback a lot of time to throw. Um, just to look, to, to go back to last week, how things work in tandem. Um, Alex Highsmith made a fantastic move in, in, to get his sack. That play should not, as fast as he got there, that ball was already supposed to be away. But the ball wasn't away because Cassius Marsh identified that something was going quick out there by reading the quarterback, stopped, and got his hands up and jumped and just tried to tried to make the quarterback not be able to throw the, the quick pass that he wanted to. 
And he didn't. And as soon as he went to a second look, boom, Highsmith had him. It was a thing of beauty. And But you also have to say, if Marsh hadn't have been there to take the first option away at the line of scrimmage, don't know if they would have got that sack. And that sack is what led to the only points by the Cowboys because it, it allowed them to hold him to a field goal. Um, although they, you know, they had to hold him one more play after that because it was on second down. But uh, if not, you know, it could have maybe been six or seven. So those are some things to look at. I'm not looking for the defense, you know, to keep the other team out of the end zone again. I mean, I'm looking for them to do it. It's just, I think it's an unreasonable expectation to expect it in two straight preseason games because you're going to have just some of these miscommunications or you're just going to have guys out there in spots that aren't going to be in the NFL in another month. And they're trying to do what they can. And it's going to give uh, the Steelers a chance to, 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 you know, kind of separate out those players that, that aren't going to be um, there come September 1st, but we'll see. I'm also, I'm just looking forward to, to seeing what the Steelers can do. Week one of the preseason is great. Then, Although technically this is week one because the Hall of Fame game was an extra game. Um, but I, I like to see how they respond from that first game. And a lot of times when you win that first one, you end up a little bit sloppier in the second, even though you don't care about the win. It's just one of those things of, yeah, we we did all right. Don't ever be satisfied. Don't be satisfied. I'm kind of happy to hear that there was some practice time where the coaches weren't happy with the players because I the last thing you want is for them to become complacent and say, yeah, let's just, you know, we got this. We'll be all right. No, you've got to stay at it. You've got to work. You've got to grind. You've got to be ready. I can't wait to watch this game tonight. I hope you can't either. I want to thank you for joining me here. Um, make sure you're checking out all our podcasts. Make sure you're checking out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, your one-stop shop for all the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you are watching the game and can't keep track of what player is what, we have an article that will be there towards the top of the, of the website because, you know, we'll have our game day threads going on during the game where you can go in Click on that and have it as a reference because it'll be all the players by number to know who's out there. Make sure you do those things. And if you haven't got a chance to, after the game and after Coach Tomlin's press conference, we'll have the Steelers postgame show live on YouTube and Facebook. That's always a lot of fun for people that are chiming in there. So as I always say, thanks for joining me. And more importantly, thanks for geeking out with me. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. 
See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.